Coming up on The Exam Room. You have his studies dating back to the 90s showing complete reversal of heart disease in so many cases. And I'm like, how in the world did this wind up in tier three when you have now decades worth of evidence showing that it's really beneficial, even if a person has severely clogged arteries? Well, yeah. And and why would a Mediterranean diet be rated, rated higher? If you look at the PREDIMED study, which is a great study, but if you look at the risk of, say, heart attack in that study, it really wasn't changed. There was no reduction in body weight of any significant degree. Cholesterol levels don't really drop. So I, I'm not quite sure why sort of a sexy sounding but ineffective diet would rise to the top of the list, but, but don't worry, these things will change. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Lake Tahoe, California, and Porto, Portugal. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 44 of season 6, number 440 overall. New heart healthy diet rankings are out, and today we are going to be looking at what's at the top of the list and what might have been missed here because there is indeed some controversy surrounding where a plant-based diet was ranked, specifically a low-fat plant-based diet. Now, these rankings come from the American Heart Association, and what they did was they took 10 of the most popular diets out there right now, and they rated them in terms of heart health. So we will be sifting through them with Dr. Neil Barnard. We're going to be looking at the hits and the misses and what you need to know. So here are the diets that are going under the microscope today. Some variations of these, the DASH diet, the keto diet, the low carb diet, the Mediterranean diet, paleo diet, pescatarian, vegan, and vegetarian diets as well. So we're gonna be looking at all of them in terms of these rankings from the AHA. And we have some suggestions as well that everyone should consider when it comes to a plant-based diet, a low-fat plant-based diet, and heart health and why that should be at the top of these rankings. So we've got the science on heart disease and rethinking the rankings with Dr. Barnard in just a little bit. We're also going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag. We had some great questions this week from Gene, who is watching on YouTube, wondering about a plant-based diet and AFib. What's the connection there? We also have questions about sodium levels and what sodium level is too low. Really kind of fascinating that we got that one, given the fact that in the standard Western or standard American diet, our salt intake is through the roof. But nonetheless, how low is too low for sodium? Also, Beth wondering about nuts and cholesterol. We also have questions about food for speeding up weight loss. And then Scott is doing some traveling and wondering how to keep it healthy on the road, how to keep that whole food plant-based diet chugging right along while he is out and about having some adventures. Also today, we're going to be hearing from Lisa DiCrescente, who is helping to lead a plant-based event for meat eaters. 
I will say that again. This is a plant-based event for meat eaters and it's happening right here in the Washington DC area. It is called Planet Bethesda and it's going down on June 4th. So Lisa and I will be chatting to see what that is all about. And I must say that is an interesting idea to say the least. But first, we get by with a little help from our friends. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. All right, all right, all right. It is diet time. Keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, all of them. How do they stack up for your heart? Well, let's take a look right now. Dr. Barnard joins me on The Exam Room Live. My friend, good to see you. Hi there, Chuck. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And listen, before we start, let's talk about actually the most heart healthy night of all. That's coming up July 12th in New York City, the exam room live and in person. Going to be talking exclusively about heart health with yourself. And I'm going to be there. And I'm so thrilled that our friend Rip Esselstyn is also going to be joining us on stage that night. Mr. Plant Strong and Dr. Robert Osfeld as well. Just can't wait for this one. You know, it's such a great thing. It's, it's great to do these programs, but I have to say, Chuck, there's nothing like being live in person, being able to talk to people in, in as much depth as we need to. It is just a wonderful chance to, to get together with people and to, to share our concerns, share our questions and find some answers. Oh, absolutely. And the energy when we did this out in Los Angeles a couple of months ago was through the roof. So let's recreate that in New York on July 12th. Reserve your seat today. The ticket link is in the show description or in the episode notes. Hope to see you there. But right now, Dr. Barnard, we've got some business to take care of right here. And let's start with these diet rankings. They come in from the American Heart Association and an exam roomie by the name of D. Pierman wrote in and wanted to know why in the world did the AHA actually rate a low-fat vegan diet as low as they did? Yeah, it's uh, first of all, thank you for asking about that. The American Heart Association is trying to do a good thing. They're trying to set some standards for what's a good diet and what's not a good diet. But they, they dinged a, a low-fat vegan diet for three things. Um, the first was that it leaves up some food groups that they thought were important. It, it, and you're absolutely right. There's no animal products in there at all. So if there's no meat, no poultry, no fish, the AHA thought, well, maybe maybe you should be more liberal and have more fish in it. There's a good reason why a low-fat vegan diet doesn't have animal products in it, because when you do that, you get rid of all the cholesterol and all the animal fat, and suddenly everything you're eating has fiber in it. So it, it's a good idea to not leave the animal products out, but that was one thing they were concerned about. The second thing is they said that maybe a vegan diet could be hard for some people to follow. Uh, my own take on that is really quite different. We've actually studied that and we've published four or five different studies now actually rating numerically. The patient comes in and some of them follow a vegan diet, some follow a Mediterranean diet, or some might follow a low calorie diet or a portion control diet or something like that. And you actually ask them, how do you like the food you're eating? 
How much work is it? What do you think you're going to do in the future? How disruptive was it? How hard was it for you to eat at restaurants? And you get numerical ratings. And so once you do this objectively, uh, the, our uh, sort of impressionistic idea that a vegan diet might be hard and a Mediterranean diet is easy or something like that, all those things melt away. A plant-based diet measures up to any other diet. Now, partly that's because you're not starving. You, this is not a portion control diet where you hit your tiny little hundred calories or whatever, and you have to not eat for the rest of the day. Uh, when a vegan diet allows you to eat all you want, it becomes easy to do. Uh, but there's, there's really more to it than that because the results come so quickly, more quickly than with a DASH diet or a Mediterranean diet. You get this sudden reward. So all of a sudden that broccoli or beans or brown rice tastes really, really good because it's working for you. Now, the, the third area that they raised questions about was that you need B12. That's true. And so if a person is following a vegan diet, but they're ignoring the whole idea of B12, then they're not following it the way it's prescribed. So that was it. Um, I don't think any of those criticisms were uh, really held much water, but you can understand why people would bring them. So when a person follows a vegan diet, keeps the oils low, make sure they're getting B12. They're actually getting the best diet on the list. All right, before we get to your five reasons why you would re-rank this and put the low-fat vegan diet at the top, let's actually look at the other diets that were ranked. Again, they took 10 here, and they broke them up into four different tiers. The top tier, tier one, the highest rating ones, which were scores of 85 and above based off of their findings. At the top of the list, uh, list I should say, was the DASH diet, which is the big one for stopping hypertension. Matter of fact, it stands for Dietary Approach to Stop Hypertension. And that diet as well, although not exclusively plant-based, it does still really put a heavy emphasis on vegetables and fruits and whole grains and legumes, nuts and seeds. But it also says that low-fat dairy and lean meat, poultry, and fish, as well as non-tropical oils are also a good idea here. Um, what is your take on the DASH diet, Dr. Barnard? Well, Chuck, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. The DASH diet has been around for a long period of time, and it's exactly as you said, it was designed to help control hypertension. When you look at the papers, when this diet was designed, in the very beginning paragraphs, they say vegetarians have lower blood pressure than other people. So let's design a diet that's plant-based, except let's water it down a little bit so that people will, will be able to follow it more easily. That was their idea. They didn't really realize that people will jump right into a vegan diet. So it, it was based very much on a plant-based diet. And the Mediterranean diet, I feel like we've talked about a lot previously here on the show, also big on whole foods um, and then fatty fish, but extra virgin olive oil, plus a moderate amount of red wine, according to the AHA. That's the guidance that they have up on their website. Um, we've done head-to-head -head studies looking at the Mediterranean and exclusively vegan diets. What did those results show? Yeah, well, both of these, the DASH and the Mediterranean diets, are sort of halfway vegan or kind of vegan light. In both cases, you want to emphasize, put the emphasis on plant-based foods, and they both say that. But they both have the idea that, well, if you include some fish or chicken or some a little bit of grease here or there, that more people will embrace it. Um, and in, in truth, for some people, it does sound kind of liberal. But Chuck, you asked the number one question. What happens when you actually put it to the test? And I have to say, a Mediterranean diet in the way that, that it has been prescribed in research studies doesn't cause weight loss at all. It doesn't cause significant cholesterol lowering at all. And when put head to head to a vegan diet, there's just really no 
no question, the vegan diet is far better. And then when you ask people in our research studies, we finished a study that had 62 people, each of them tried both diets. What we found is that the preference was very strongly for the weight loss effect that came from the vegan diet. So, so I, I think what we'll, what we'll see in the future as more and more people are doing this kind of thing is, is that people will realize, well, a Mediterranean diet might sound sexy. You know, here I am in Southern Italy living it up, but, but you think, well, if I wanna actually get healthy, maybe I should be eating healthier foods. Uh, vegetarian style pescatarian diets also in that top tier along with vegetarian style ovo lacto diets. Um, I know that the AHA is really big on omega threes with the pescatarian diet. Um, how easy is it to get those though from plant-based sources? Yeah, well, a couple things should be said. One is that the omega threes that are, that are found in fish, the fish are eating omega-3 just in the same way as a person is eating it, either from algae or you're making it from, uh, people will eat plants and then you elongate the omega-3 into a longer chain. Um, and so we, we can do that. You don't, you don't need to eat the fish in order to get omega-3. And if you look at where pesco vegetarians end up with regard to diabetes risk or with regard to weight, we saw some really telling data from the Adventist Health Study. They looked at 60 or 70,000 people and the pesco pescatarians, the people who are vegetarian plus fish. They're thinner than the sort of unrepentant meat eater, but they are nowhere near the range of a vegan. They're kind of right in the middle. And then when it comes to diabetes risk, same story. The fish, people who eat no meat other than fish do better than people who eat every kind of meat, but they are not anywhere near as healthy. Uh, they don't have the low frequency of having diabetes compared to say a vegan. And to the ovo-lacto, this, this is kind of interesting to me, especially when we're talking in terms of heart health here. Um, that includes eggs and dairy. Um, eggs, as we've talked about also on the show quite a bit, I mean, these are little cholesterol bombs. So I'm kind of surprised that this would rank as highly as it does. Um, are they hinting at there's something about the cholesterol in eggs, perhaps, that makes it less risky for your heart? Or what am I kind of missing here? Well, uh, to be charitable, I think what they're saying is that a person who eats meat, dairy products, and eggs, and now decides to throw out the meat, but just eat dairy products and eggs, that that's a step in the right direction. And you could say it is. But if they throw out the dairy products and the eggs, too, those are two additional steps that will get them to a cholesterol-free diet. Absolutely. So then we get to tier two, and this is where you find that kind of general vegan diet, which they define as a plant-based eating pattern that includes no animal products, no other guidance beyond that. And then just a general low-fat diet, Dr. Barnard, also falls into the tier two category, which is a diet that limits fat intake to less than 30% of total calories, including the volumetrics eating plan and the therapeutic lifestyle change plan, better known as TLC. Um, vegan diet, I'm sure that you're, you, we've got a lot of thoughts on that that we'll express here and the general low fat diet. Um, I don't know how much time we have to really spend on, <laughs> on either one of these in particular, because it's really kind of the third tier that is most interesting to me because that then is where we get into D. Pierman's question and the debate at hand, essentially, where they looked at very low fat and low carb diets and ranked them in this third out of four tiers of diet scores between 55 and 74. And then right there at the top, very 
They emphasize this very low-fat diets, which they define as a diet that limits fat intake to less than 10% of total calories. And these include the Ornish diet, the Esselstyn diet, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine diets, et cetera, et cetera, at all. Very often, these are exclusively vegan diets. Um, Kind of talked about this at the top, but it just seems to me that given what we do know about there being no cholesterol in an exclusively plant-based diet, given that obesity is a high risk factor when it comes to heart disease, and yet obesity rates are exceptionally lower when it comes to eating an exclusively plant-based diet than they are with a lot of other diets that have been ranked here. It just seems to me like we're kind of missing the mark a little bit. I may be a little bit biased, but I would love for you to respond to that. Sure. Um, keep in mind when you're to get, uh, say, 10% of your calories from fat to your average person it might sound kind of low. The number sounds low. But how do you get there? What if I'm making spaghetti with tomato sauce or something like that? And I just don't add any extra grease to it. Well, you're going to be easily under 10% of your energy as as fat. So to, to get there just really means you're not adding grease to your food. So that's not really that hard to do. And let me take you back in time, Chuck. Back around 1990, Dr. Dean Ornish was publishing uh, his Lancet article that just changed everything. He could show you could reverse heart disease. Called him up. And I said, you know, people will say that this works, but they're going to say nobody will follow it. It's too, too difficult to do. So he said, well, come on out to San Francisco and interview the participants in the study. So I interviewed all of the participants in his plant-based diet group. They plant-based diet, regular exercise, stress reduction, smoking, uh, smoking cessation. That was the experimental group. And uh, we, we used a, a special questionnaire where we wanted to rate numerically. How do you like the diet? The things I was mentioning earlier, how much work is it? What do you plan to do in the future and so forth? And what we found um, is that they, they, did, they said, well, it did take a little getting used to. How long? Maybe about four weeks or so before I was really solid with the diet. How do you like it? I love it. Um, and then we had, there was a control group that was just following what their doctor's advice was. And we found that for them, they said they found it difficult. Uh, I remember one participant in that group saying, it's just chicken and fish and chicken and fish and chicken and fish and all the pleasures of life are gone and I'm not getting any benefit. So, but there was, there was one participant who was in the Ornish diet group who had gone plant-based, totally plant-based. And he was almost seething with anger, I have to say, when I was asking him about his diet. And I said, well, tell me, what do you really think uh, uh, about this, this diet? And he said, I am so angry that I saw so many doctors who were ready to, to just prescribe some, some worthless diet that they thought I, I couldn't follow, eat fish, eat chicken, when that doesn't help. And then they were ready to operate on me. They were ready to give me all these pills, but nobody told me that a plant-based diet could get me where I need to go, that it could get, off, get me off my medications. They thought that I couldn't do it but this is my body and I want to make those decisions. In other words, he was feeling that if you tell people, oh, you can't do a plant-based diet, it's, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, it's too hard. He said, that's just a big put down. It's easy to do. The results are unmatched. Let's promote it. So anyway, that, that has just stuck with me, Chuck. Absolutely. You know, and to that end, it's like, I'm, I'm hearing you share that story and I'm thinking like, man, you want to talk about a difficult diet, man. Like try eating 10,000 calories a day. That 
that took work. And so many of us get swept up in that vicious, high fat, high calorie cycle where we literally get hooked on the standard American diet and that compulsion to just eat and eat and eat and eat. That is all consuming. That is exhausting. So in my personal experience, eating a plant-based diet is much like the people who you talked with. It's like, once you get over that adjustment period, it's a cakewalk. Like it is like a breeze and you do, you just feel so much better, so much higher energy. It's just, I don't know. I mean, the yeah. standard American diet to me, that just seems like a lot of work, even though it's built on convenience. That's the ironic thing. Yeah, it's fine. I never thought about that. This this convenient diet is, is frankly uh, kind of a roadmap to the most inconvenient life you can imagine. I mean, you're at the CVS for drugs all the time. But it's like quitting smoking. You know, if a person has got a, a cheeseburger habit, to, to, to break that habit does require some, some thinking and a little bit of a taste adjustment. And it does take maybe a month or so before a person feels totally solid. But when people quit smoking, it's the same thing. In fact, well, I got to say changing your diet is easier than quitting smoking because the nicotine is much more addictive. But people are glad to have broken free. So when people are eating a healthier diet, there are so many people who feel that they just wish they'd learned this a long time ago. All right, let's put a bow on these rankings before we get your five reasons why you would rank the low-fat plant-based diet at the top of the list. Rounding things out in the basement for these American Heart Association rankings are the Paleolithic and very low-carb diets such as keto, which both scored less than 55 uh, in their metrics. Um, I find it really telling that perhaps the most popular diet in the world right now, the keto diet, is in the basement here. Why do you think we still continue to beat the drum for the keto diet as being the diet for everybody's health? And now here you have arguably one of the most well-respected health organizations in the entire world telling you, no, 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 no. This thing is really something you're going to want to avoid. Well, we've all seen people go on keto diets and end up having real serious heart problems. Um, now, any, anybody can have a heart issue. I mean, you can be following a healthy diet and, and nature plays its tricks on us, but the keto diet just invites it because it says, take out the rice, take out, all, take out the fruit, don't eat a banana, don't eat an apple, don't eat an orange, uh, don't eat a baked potato, but eat meat and eat gravy. And some people, because you're leaving out so many foods, some people will lose weight on that. And when you lose weight, some health measures do improve. I mean, there's no question about that. But if you're eating all the wrong things, because that's what's left in your diet. We've seen so many people where their cholesterols go up, sometimes through the roof, and cardiovascular disease follows, and you just don't want to put yourself in that condition. And I think that it's also kind of telling, too, that you're talking about the power that the foods that are being left off of the plate with those diets, the power that they have, the fruits, the vegetables, the whole grains, the things that have those whole carbs instead of those refined sugars, which all get glumped into the same carb category. Um, I just think it's really telling that there's such a heavy emphasis on making sure that everybody gets what grandma prescribed for you back at a young age, and that's fruits and vegetables on your plate. Yeah, exactly. And that's a theme that runs through many of these things. What, what do people like about a Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet, or for that matter, a vegan diet? The fact that it's, it's rich in the vegetables and the fruits and the whole grains and the beans. And then people argue, can you stick some fish in here? Can you stick some, some dairy products in here? Or, you know, I would argue, if it's hurting your body, let's just leave it out. Um, so these uh, these guidelines do change. They drift over time. 
Uh, they're becoming much more plant uh, friendly as time goes on. But as you can see, we've got a bit of work to, uh, to still do. All right. And a housekeeping note, one curveball here. I got to get this one over the plate. Otherwise, I just wouldn't be my doing my job. Again, we talked about a diet that's got the eggs, the ovo-lacto diet being ranked close to the top. Um, also then at the top of the rankings, but at the bottom of the page with the rankings on their website list sponsored by both Eggland's Best Eggs and the Egg Nutrition Center. Um, how much skepticism should we have in this case or any other when you see an industry like that attached to an organization's rankings? Well, the American Heart Association, the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, and a number of, of, of other organizations um, do have policies that allow industry to uh, have special access to people who are involved in setting policies. And, and the, these are controversial things within the organizations. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of ongoing discussion about that. Um, and so uh, here at the Physicians Committee, we accept no, no food industry funding from any kind. I mean, it can be unhealthy foods, healthy foods. We, we just don't take their money at all because we want to be unbiased. And, and I would encourage these other organizations to go in that same direction, because if you've got McDonald's or Pepsi-Cola or something giving you money every year and asking for access to your policymakers, it, it is going to raise some eyebrows. And that includes Big Broccoli, as we discussed the last time we brought that up. Right. Sorry, doesn't matter who you are. It just can't can't do it. Um, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag and take some questions from the exam roomies who are watching right now, have some questions about their heart or anything else. And if you have a question, go ahead, post it in the comments or in the chat. We're going to get to as many as we can here with the time that we have left on the show today. Let's start with a question from Gene, who's wondering whether a plant-based diet can help somebody who has AFib. Great question. Common condition and often misunderstood atrial fibrillation means that the top part of the heart, instead of beating in a normal way, starts kind of fluttering a little bit. Um, and uh, obviously you're very nervous about that and uh, for, for good reasons, but it's a very, very common condition. Certain things that help, certain things that don't help. I think we need more science on here, but the things that seem to be rising to the top are nuts and probably seeds. Don't go crazy with them, but for whatever reason, uh, many, many studies do show that even people who have, say, nuts, three times a week, like uh, an ounce, that's a small handful, uh, are less likely to have AFib. Um, and I remember talking with a number of doctors years ago where we started to observe this anecdotally and the studies do seem to bear it out. Uh, things not to have, surprisingly perhaps alcohol might be bad, might uh, increase the risk of AFib and fish. Some studies seem to suggest that it's protective, but more have seemed to suggest that it's part of the problem. Why is that? We don't really know. Is it that these long chain fatty acids are in some way a problem? I wouldn't think so. Um, is it the cholesterol and fat that fish is a part of the problem? Who knows? But fish is not turning out to be a lifesaver here. Last thing, a uh, plant-based diet causes weight loss. Weight loss makes AFib less likely. You know what just dawned on me? I just made a completely big error on my part, and I am so sorry that we have skipped right over your five reasons. And that's a great answer to Gene's question, but I just can't, I just can't reach into the mailbag without going back to your five <laughs> reasons why the plant-based, the low-fat plant-based diet should actually be at the top of the rankings. Oh my goodness, I feel like a rookie here, Dr. Barnard. You are never a rookie. You're, 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 you are ahead of your time, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, a little bit slow today, but perhaps still ahead of my time. That works. Anyway, uh, let's get to your your top five before we go to uh, Melinda's question. We'll be up next. She's wondering about nuts and seeds. But first, the five reasons why everybody should be ranking that low-fat plant-based diet right at the top of their list when it comes to heart health. 
Okay, number one, big risk factor for heart disease is high cholesterol levels. Plant-based diets have no cholesterol. They have no animal fat. Animal fat raises cholesterol levels. So that's number one. Number two, brings down blood pressure. And that's partly because the vegetables and fruits have potassium, which seems to lower blood pressure. Um, but also these foods tend to be very low in sodium, very low in blood viscosity, uh, a blood viscosity effect. So anyway, number two, they lower blood pressure. Number three, they help you reduce body weight. Body weight is a big cardiovascular risk factor. And there is almost nothing more reliable about a plant-based diet, if you do it the right way, than really good sustained weight loss. Number four, it gets diabetes under control. In some cases, it even makes it go away. There is nothing like a low-fat vegan diet for doing that. And finally, this is the diet that, that Dr. Dean Ornish has been using for decades. When people have narrowed arteries, they want to open them up again. What do you do? You, you use a diet that has no cholesterol, has no animal fat in it, and the arteries over time for most people start to reopen. So when you put those uh, five things together, you've got hands down the best diet. And you know what? That's another thing that kind of stuck out at me, especially in the literature that they released, the AHA, where they specifically named the Ornish diet in the third tier along with us. And then you have his studies dating back to the 90s showing a complete reversal of heart disease in so many cases. And I'm like... How in the world did this wind up in tier three when you have now decades worth of evidence showing that it's really beneficial, even if a person has severely clogged arteries? Well, yeah. And, and why would a Mediterranean diet be rated, rated higher? If you look at the PREDIMED study, which is a great study, but if you look at the risk of, say, heart attack in that study, it really wasn't changed. Um, if you look at, I'm talking about a Mediterranean diet, it really didn't affect the risk of having a heart attack. Um, the risk, uh, or uh, let's say body weight, there was no reduction in body weight of any significant degree. Cholesterol levels don't really drop. So I, I'm not quite sure why um, sort of a sexy sounding but ineffective diet would rise to the top of the list. But but don't worry. These things will change. I think, you know, if the Mediterranean diet had another name, it may not be up there so high. I, I don't know. I think you're right onto it with the sexy sounding. I really do. The Mediterranean diet. It just has a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dr. Ornish, by the way, will be at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine this year uh, coming up in August, won't he? He certainly will be. Um, in fact, he's going to give us the latest information on Alzheimer's disease and nutritional uh, interventions. So be on the edge of your seat. The, 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 at the top of everybody's list of diseases I do not want to get, Alzheimer's disease, Dr. Ornish is going to bring us the latest. We have two other speakers as well tackling that same topic. So it's going to be quite a conference, I have to say. Holy Moses. I know that he's been working on that research. Uh, yeah. That is exciting. So here's the deal. PCRM.org slash ICNM to reserve your seats. PCRM.org slash ICNM. We will be doing that at the Grand Hyatt in Washington this August. So get your seats today. Come on by. You're definitely going to want to catch that presentation. Uh, next question from the doctor's mailbag comes to us from Melinda. She is wondering about seeds. She says, how much hemp, flax, and chia seeds should you be eating every day on a whole food plant-based diet? I assume that she's a little bit concerned with the fat content. She also says that she has a hard time when she eats these every day. So not sure if there's a digestive issue there as well. Okay. Great question. How much do you need? Zero. You don't need to eat these foods at all. Um, there are many, the, the, the rationale for them is that they have ALA, alpha-linolenic acid. That's, a, that's an omega-3 fatty acid that you do need. But it's in lots of foods. 
If you sent a sprig of broccoli to a lab, they'd tell you it has ALA in it too. And that's true for all the green leafy vegetables. So let's say you decide, I'm not going to eat any chia at all. I'm going to eat broccoli and spinach and Swiss chard and, and green vegetables. You will get ALA as well. Now, but you can have the seeds and nuts and, and uh, I mean, seeds, flax, hemp seeds, chia seeds, whatever, they're healthy. Um, many people would say, well, once you've gone over about two teaspoons a day, that's kind of a boatload. Um, and if you're having trouble digesting them, it's because they come with a heck of a lot of both fiber and fat. And it might be a little bit more than your digestive tract is ready for right now. So answer is you don't need them at all. If you want to have them, you can use modest quantities and see how you do. All right. Speaking of having trouble digesting, this next question comes to us from Mo is back. Didn't know they were ever gone, but Mo is back, wants to know uh, whether chia seeds can cause bowel obstructions. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, there, there, there is an old idea that diverticulosis, for example, little outpouchings in the intestine would be caused by eating small particulate matter like a seed. Uh, there's never been any evidence for it. It just seemed logical, but it, it hasn't turned out to be the case. In fact, high fiber foods seem to prevent it. All right, here we go. This is a great question from City Girl. Karen wants to know, what is worse in your opinion, Dr. Barnard, meat and dairy or alcohol? Well, they're bad in different ways. For example, let's say I'm going to avoid meat products. What have I done? I've reduced my risk of colorectal cancer and I'm going to reduce my cholesterol. What if I avoid dairy products? I'm reducing my risk of prostate cancer and breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And my digestion is going to improve because I'm not getting any lactose. What if I decide to leave alcohol out of my diet? I've reduced my risk of breast cancer, colorectal cancer, pancreatic cancer, a ruined life, <laughs> all, the other, all the other things that alcohol can contribute to. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, the person who celebrates New Year's Eve with one a glass of champagne and they're not drinking the rest of the year, no big issue. But there are quite a lot of people who, um, for whom alcohol is just something that is not enriching their existence, let's, let's be frank. Um, so meat, dairy, eggs, they're all part of the issue. They all affect the body in different ways, and alcohol has its own toxicity to it. All right. If, if you do, if you know, if you do drink modest intermittent is the way to think about it. Let's switch gears. Talk a little bit about sodium here. Socorro 9810 uh, wants to know what sodium level is too low. They says that uh, he says that their doctor mm -hmm. is concerned because theirs was a 127. Yeah. Uh, I would, well, talk with your doctor, take your advice from your doctor. But if it were me and I looked at that, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, the lower limit of normal on typical lab slips is 135. Um, and your body regulates your sodium level very, very carefully. Um, so I wouldn't race off to the store and get some, you know, Morton salt and start eating it to try to get yourself up to 135. What I'll bet you your doctor did, or in almost every doctor would do this, would say, six months from now, when you come back and see me, let's just draw it again because these numbers bounce around and there are normal values that where most healthy people will fit between, but some people will be a little bit lower. Some people will be a little bit higher. Um, so if there's anything persistent, then your doctor can investigate that, but it's not a cause for worry. And uh, important note there, suggestion is to work with your doctor basically regardless. We had that question earlier from somebody who was already on medication for AFib, and then you're talking about big time dietary changes. That's something you definitely want to keep your doctor abreast of, I would assume. Chuck, thank you for saying that. I mean, we, we want to say that in, in every show, really. Uh, if you're on medication, if you have any health concern or just for anybody, this 
I hope that people get good nutrition advice and good nutrition info and things they can talk about, but you don't want to cancel your doctor's appointment. You don't want to throw your medications in the trash. Talk with your doctor about any changes that you are planning to make. And this is really important for people, say, if they got diabetes and they're on medicines and they're doing a vegan diet plus their medicines, they need to work with their doctor because the doctor has to bring down their medication doses if the diet is improving their insulin sensitivity. So work with your diet. Do not fire, work with your doctor. Don't fire your doctor. Um, and uh, use the information that you get here along with uh, your, your uh, medical plan, not in place of it. Good advice. Next question comes to us from Beth, wondering whether nuts can raise cholesterol. I would no. I, I would think not. Now, nuts do have fat in them, but the fat they have is, for the most part, not saturated fat. And in fact, Dr. David Jenkins used a very modest amount of nuts, about an ounce per day, in the portfolio diet. Uh, great name for a diet. David, David Jenkins is one of the greatest researchers in the world. He's at University of Toronto. He invented the glycemic index, and then he invented the portfolio diet, which takes soluble fiber, like in oats or beans or okra a little bit of nuts, some soy products. He makes a portfolio of cholesterol lowering foods. And he showed that you could use these foods along with the plant-based diet to lower cholesterol about as powerfully as a statin drug could do it in four weeks time. So he used nuts there, despite the fact they have some fat in them, he used a very modest amount and cholesterol levels went way, way down. So I wouldn't worry about uh, any cholesterol raising effect of nuts. Right, kind of bouncing around here a little bit. Scott is looking for some help here. Oh, this is neat. He says, my wife and I will be traveling to our daughter's graduation later this month. It will be our first time traveling while eating a whole food plant-based diet. We made the switch three months ago. He says, we would love some ideas and some tips for eating whole food plant-based while we are traveling. Oh, good. Well, good for you. Um, it's good to get on the road and, and see family and friends and, and be able to maintain a healthy diet as you do it. Uh, two, two quick words. Think international. If you go into a Mexican restaurant, they've got beans. So instead of the meat taco, you have the bean burrito or the veggie fajitas. Go into an Italian restaurant. Instead of the angel hair pasta with meat sauce, have it with tomato sauce, marinara sauce, arrabbiata sauce. Sushi bars. Uh, don't have the fish sushi. Have the cucumber roll, the asparagus roll, the sweet potato roll. Or go Indian. Now, be careful because there some chefs in Indian restaurants are a little too much in love with dairy products and oils. But if you negotiate a little bit, you can get it made properly. Uh, so Chinese restaurants, Sichuan, Hunan restaurants, they've got rice dishes, beans, uh, bean curd dishes, tofu, in other words, uh, vegetable dishes. So if you think international, the choices are there. And I don't care how small the town is. You know, they got an Italian place and, you know, they'll make you pizza without the cheese. They've got a Chinese restaurant. They've got a, a Mexican place. So uh, you're going to do great. Yep. And uh, I can verify that. I live right now in a very small town outside of Washington, D.C. Our restaurant choices here are kind of minimal, but we do, in fact, have an Indian restaurant and we definitely have an Italian restaurant and we even have a Chinese slash sushi restaurant. So um, you can definitely find whatever it is that you need, wherever it is that you go. You can always make something work. Uh, let's grab three more here, Dr. Barnard. Uh, start with Ikariko's question. What foods are good for speeding up weight loss? Okay, what a great question. Um, first of all, fiber 
has some really neat effects. Now, fiber is a boring word, I know, but fiber is big stuff. Fiber is the roughage in vegetables and fruits, and there's a lot of it in beans as well. And fiber has almost no calories, but it fills you up. So if you eat a high fiber food, you're not going to measure this. But if you did measure, when people start eating more high fiber foods, they push away from the table a couple of hundred calories sooner than they were doing before they were added the high fiber foods. In other words, you fill up your little appetite control center says, stop eating about now. And that number ends up being a couple hundred calories sooner. The other thing, this is for extra credit. Researchers at Tufts University did an amazing experiment. They brought in people and they gave them either low fiber foods like white bread or high fiber foods like whole grain bread or white rice versus brown rice. Brown rice has the fiber. And then they actually, don't try this at home. They checked everybody's stool samples. Yes, they did. And they sent them to the laboratory. And what they discovered was that on a high fiber diet, not only do you get the appetite taming effect, but as the fiber goes through your body, it captures and traps some of the calories in the other foods you're eating, carries them out with the waste. So you are, get this, you are flushing extra calories down the toilet. So the third thing you get from a plant-based diet by avoiding animal products, keeping oils low, is your metabolism rises after the meal, so you're burning calories faster. Put this together, what are you getting? You're taming your appetite with high fiber foods, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. Secondly, as these foods go down your digestive tract, they capture extra calories, carry them out with the wastes. Third, they ramp up your metabolism, so your body is a calorie burning machine after the meal for about three, four hours. Put that together, high fiber foods, that's what you want vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. If you haven't yet done this, for the next three weeks, throw the animal products out. Don't make any long-term promise, but do this for now. Keep oils really low and any oily food and just see what happens. I love the way you put that. Turn the body into a calorie burning machine, man. That just makes me feel good. Fires me right on up. Um, <laughs> but it's true, Chuck. You know, you've seen this with many people where their body is kind of doing the work for them. You're, 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 not, you're not suffering through it. Your body, take you know, you eat the foods, your body does the work. Yeah, I love that research that uh, Dr. Kaliova has shown a lot of times on the show that talks about that post-meal calorie burn, how you get that little extra boost when you got a lot of fiber in that meal. You keep it plant-based. Your body's working that much harder to digest because there's that fiber in there. Um, and fiber may actually play a role in your answer for Jody's question, perhaps, who is wondering how they can increase gut motility. First, I'm not sure why your gut motility is an issue. Don't hesitate to talk to your gastroenterologist about what could be going wrong. But a general rule of thumb is there are two things that help, one thing that hurts. Um, you need fiber in your foods. Fiber is sort of the thing that keeps your, your digestive tract moving along. And fiber, again, beans, top of the list, uh, vegetables, fruits, whole grains. Include those in your diet. If, if you are not used to that, you might want to go a little slowly because you may not have adapted very well to beans yet, but go small and gradually increase as your gut uh, gets used to it. The second thing is have water along with it. Don't be dehydrated. Make sure you're getting the fiber and the water that helps your digestion. Now, the thing that's not so good is fatty foods. This is gonna surprise you a little bit. Research many years ago showed something that was really very striking. As fat touches the intestinal wall, it starts to cause the muscular contractions to go a little funny. Sort of like if you grabbed a tube of toothpaste at one end, squeezed it, 
grab the same tube of toothpaste at the other end and squeeze it there, nothing's moving and you feel bad. Um, that's your intestinal tract on a greasy diet. You, instead of your movements going down in one direction, you're kind of all messed up. So high fiber, lots of water, get away from the fat. Mm, that doesn't sound like much fun. You squeeze it at one end, you squeeze it <laughs> at the other end, and nothing's moving and you're just miserable, man. But people, you know what? People have been there. People have been there. I got to tell you. Oh, man. Who among us hasn't uh, at least once or twice in their life? Um, and that kind of like brings us to the interesting end of the questions today, because the foods that kind of crimp one end and crimp the other and keep you backed up are the ones that you tend to crave a lot. Firefly Dreamer wants to know what your tips are, Dr. Barnard, for stopping those junk food cravings. What a wonderful question. You know, everybody has been there at some point, you know, when, when they're trying to eat in a more healthful way that you've got a craving. And, and, and there, there's a couple of things that should be said. One is the power of forgetting is a really cool thing to take advantage of. Here's what I mean. And a little confession here. Back when I was a, a medical student and a resident in the early part of my residency, I used to smoke cigarettes. Yes, I did. Now, this was Back in the early 1980s, we weren't stupid. We knew we had to quit. We knew we knew we couldn't smoke for very long. Um, and about our hospital sold cigarettes at that time in the gift shop and every doctor smoked. When I quit, I realized something. If I would just cut down or decide, well, I'll have a cigarette, but no more than once a month, that'll be healthy, that'll, that'll be safe. You don't use the power of forgetting. Every month when you have that cigarette or every week or two or at a party, it reignites that desire for it. The power of forgetting means I haven't had a cigarette in six months and I've forgotten about it. I don't care. You can do that with food. If you haven't had chicken wings in six months, you're not thinking about it at all. You can do this with chocolate. You can do this with cheese. You might crave it if you had it yesterday. But if you haven't had these things in a while, the power of forgetting says it's just not on my mind. So. What I'm making here is, is an argument against moderation. I know that sounds funny. Moderation should apply to healthy things. Have a moderate amount of broccoli and beans and, and whole grains, but don't have a moderate amount of something that's hurting you. Get it out of your diet, forget about it, and your brain will take it from here. But I have one more tip, and that's HALT, H-A-L-T. This is something that those of us who are involved, say, in addiction medicine, if people come in with an alcohol issue or a drug issue, or frankly, a tobacco or overeating, in all these cases, a craving is going to happen. You are a human being. Cravings will hit you. Halt and look at four words. H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you are hungry, oh, that's why I'm craving something because I haven't had anything to eat today. If you are angry, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm so mad. And, and, and you take that anger with you to the 7-Eleven and you start buying stuff. If you are lonely, you can just imagine yourself saying, you know, chocolate was here. Where were you? Or if you're tired, uh, when people are fatigued, they'll eat anything just to get through the day. So this also tells us what to do. If you feel the craving coming on, halt and think, am I hungry? If so, eat something healthy, like have an apple or a piece of bread. No, that's not what you craved, but it takes the edge off your hunger and makes the craving volume just go down. If you're angry, is there somebody you can talk to? If they're lonely, same story. What can you do to deal with it? If you're tired, hey, take a nap. When you wake up, a little, bit, a little bit later, that craving is going to be gone or greatly turned down. There you go. And the only thing, Dr. Barnard, is somebody who has struggled with that for virtually his entire life, too, that I would add is if you're not genuinely hungry and, and you don't eat that apple or the piece of bread because you are hungry, if you fall into the latter three for halt, 
then just acknowledge the fact, this is what works for me. I'm just throwing this out there. Just acknowledge the fact that you're going to be uncomfortable during this craving. And as you're trying to sort through everything else that has gone with it, just by kind of giving yourself this little bit of permission to be uncomfortable as opposed to really fighting this craving and beating yourself up for even having it, giving yourself that permission makes it that much more tolerable. Not saying it's going to go away completely, but in my experience, it's enough to help get you over that hurdle while you're sorting the rest of that out so that hopefully you get fewer cravings over time. Just as a recovering food addict, I can tell you uh, from my experience, that little piece of information has helped tremendously as well. That's fantastic, Chuck. We all go through the tunnels. You know, you, you go into the dark, you come out of it and uh, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't last forever, but it is uncomfortable at the time. I love what you said there. There you go. All right. Let's go ahead and close up the doctor's mailbag. If we didn't get to your question today, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And don't forget July 12th, New York City, the exam room live and in person. Can't wait. The energy will be off the charts that night as we present the healthiest night in the history of your heart. Dr. Barnard, myself, we're going to be there along with Dr. Rob Osfeld, who uh, holds the distinction of of being on the most popular episode ever of the exam room. We were talking about heart health, which of course trickled over into erectile dysfunction. So I'm sure we're going to be touching on that. And then so excited, we just announced that Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong, he too will be with us that night, Dr. Barnard, July 12th. I know you've got the date circled on your calendar because, man, we can't do the show without you. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. I, I got to tell you, Chuck, the, the LA event was the highlight of the year. This is going to be even bigger. There it is. So click that link and get your tickets right now. The show description, the episode notes, that's where you can find it. Or head over to pcrm.org slash events. And lastly today, Dr. Barnard, gotta say that today's episode has been powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. And the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like ours that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. Check them out online right now at GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory Writer, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. You see that spelling right there in the lower left-hand corner of the video right there. So go ahead and give them a click. And while you're over there, subscribe to their newsletter so you can keep up to date with everything that is going on. And I believe Allison Mahoney from the Writer Fund will be joining us in New York as well. She is a friend who is near and dear to both of our hearts. I know that to be so, Dr. Barnard. Oh, absolutely. And Greg was such a wonderful person. And Allison has carried his spirit forward in such a beautiful way. As a reminder, you can join us for The Exam Room Live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel or Facebook page. There is a link to both in the episode notes. So I've got some hot news to share with you here. Fresh research from the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. A new study there finds that high-fat diets, quote, turn up the thermostat on atherosclerosis. Now, what that is, of course, is the hardening of the arteries when plaque builds up in your blood vessels and blocks them off so that blood can't flow to your organs. And that leads to heart attacks and stroke and heart disease, which, as we were talking about today, is the leading cause of death. 
Now, what is important to keep in mind here is that these plaques that clog the arteries, they are primarily made up of cholesterol and phospholipids and other fats. And the researchers here with this study say that fat derivatives from a Western diet lead to increased levels of gut-derived bacterial toxins, systemic inflammation, and atherosclerosis. Now, this comes on top of previous research showing that obese individuals are already two and a half times more likely to develop heart disease. But despite knowing that, many experts really weren't sure about the mechanistic link, as they like to say, between obesity and atherosclerosis. But now, the group behind this latest study believes that the link may be in how specific derivatives of natural emulsifiers found in the Western diet can alter the way that cells lining your intestines interact with gut bacteria. So what are these emulsifiers? Well, one example that they cite is to think about a bottle of salad dressing, and then you shake it up. So it's these phospholipids or emulsifiers that keep the oil in these globules. So researchers here say that specific enzymes in the intestines can turn these emulsifiers into potent pro-inflammatory molecules in your body. Now stay with me, I'm gonna read this next part to you directly from the release that was sent to me because it gets a little bit complicated. Here's what they say. Quote, the normal defenses for intestinal lining cells to keep bacteria in the lumen of the intestines are reduced when they take up large amounts of cholesterol and fat, said Alan Fogelman, a professor of medicine at UCLA and project supervisor. This also results in bacteria being able to come in direct contact with the cells lining your intestines called enterocytes. Without those defenses, this results in more bacterial products like bacterial cell membranes that contain a toxin called endotoxin getting into the bloodstream and causing inflammation. Release of bacterial products from the gut into the bloodstream sounds an alarm in the immune system, which then deploys immune cells into the blood to eliminate the potential threat. People who are obese and eating high-fat, high-cholesterol diets have higher levels of endotoxin in their blood, Fogelman said. It's not at the level of causing sepsis, but it causes a low-level inflammation. When the cholesterol and fat come into mix, the endotoxin kind of turns up the thermostat on inflammation, and that accelerates atherosclerosis and leads to increased heart attacks and strokes. So there you go brand new research there. Fascinating stuff. So we'll see. More research, they say, is needed here. But I like to simplify things. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. I like to simplify things. It really is wonderful to understand how the body works. And even though we can really dive in and get a closer look at things, at the end of the day, you don't need to have spent years in medical school or practicing medicine to really understand such a simple concept. Eating healthy food helps your body stay healthy and eating unhealthy food helps your body break down. So good in, good out, good health. It really can be that easy. All right, let's switch gears now and cater to the plant curious and a vegan event for 
non-vegans. Planet Bethesda is happening here in the Washington, D.C. area on June 4th. I'm happy to be speaking there that day, and honestly, I think that the idea is brilliant. A little something for everyone, especially if they're just dipping their toes into the plant-based waters for the very first time. Lisa D. Crescente is helping to put everything together, and I had a chance to catch up with her recently to see what Planet Bethesda is all about. Lisa, thanks for being here. A plant-based event for people who are not plant-based. Fill me in. This just sounds amazing. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us on. We really appreciate it. And yeah, this is a plant-based festival for people who are not plant-based. We want people to come out and have a ball. We want them to have fun. We want them to eat amazing food. We want them to learn about animals, the environment, their own health. And oh, by the way, it's all plant-based. It's all sustainable. It's all green. And that's what Planet Bethesda is all about. All right, Rockstar, you just hit the the holy trinity there. You've got uh, environment, you've got health, and you've got animals. What was the inspiration for you in putting this event together? My heart space is growing the movement. Yes, we have to do things that keep our members, our community inspired, but I want to grow the movement. I want to do things, produce events, work with organizations that want to engage with people that are not vegan, that are not plant-based. And how are we going to do that? Through their stomachs, through having fun, through learning, through educating them, through inspiring them. That's what the event is all about. And there are so many things going on. Anybody, all people, no matter your age, doesn't matter. You're going to find something that you're going to love to do, that you're going to enjoy at Planet Bethesda. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you started with the stomach, right? And if you want to open up a heart, open up a mind, all roads lead through the stomach. So let's talk about some of the food that you're going to have out there. Absolutely. What are we serving up that day? Well, it is a multicultural array of cuisine that we will have. We're talking Mexican, Italian, Indian, ramen, all sorts of baked goods, cookies, brownies, cupcakes, pies, African food, ice cream, shaved ice, cotton candy, burgers, chicken nuggets, sausage, cheese fries, soul food, ribs, collard greens, barbecue, fried drummies, acai bowls, smoothies, fruit kebabs, fruit slushies, you name it, we are going to have it. That That's the cool thing. Now, listen, I know that this is for non-plant-based people, but you know how it is. When oh, you yeah. get a bunch of people who are already vegan, they're plant-based, and there's anything that goes with that, they're like, I'm all in. And yeah. so you know some of the exam roomies who are watching and listening right now, they're going to want to show up. So if they're really into the healthy eating kind of thing, are they going to be able to find something delicious as well? Great question, Chuck. Yes, absolutely. We have a few vendors that are going to really stay with the whole food plant-based theme, which I love because personally I am whole food plant-based. We will have fresh fruit. We will have acai bowls. We will have fresh fruit smoothies. Uh, True Foods Kitchen is serving up some really incredible healthy food. Uh, yes, they will be absolutely able. We'll have stir fry, mushrooms, things like that. Uh, but this is also an opportunity for even the people that are healthy. And of course, that's very 
very important. Come and indulge a little bit, have some fun, give your taste buds a little holiday, try some things that you may not necessarily eat at home or on a, you know, everyday basis. But yeah, there will definitely be some healthy options there. We've made sure of that. Outstanding. And one of the things that my wife, I think, is most looking forward to, I said, honey, I'm talking at Planet Bethesda on June 4th. She's like, oh, another vegetable. So I was like, no, this one is different. They have a canine courtyard. So for people who love dogs, talk to me about this canine courtyard. What's happening there? Absolutely. So we have a canine courtyard, the same as last year. However, this year it is hosted by Lucky Dog Animal Rescue. They are coming out and they are giving away free toys, free treats. They're talking to people about fostering, adoption, the importance of adoption rather than going to a store and buying animals because animals are not commodities. They shouldn't be purchased. Uh, they're going to be there with a few babies, maybe some adoptions will happen on site. I hope so. Uh, but they're going to be out there. You bring your bring your fur baby, and there's going to be a you know like a fenced community area where the dogs can socialize and play and hang out, and it's just going to be really fun for people. Last year we had a ton of people come with their with their dogs, which was really awesome. Hopefully people will return, and they'll get to just hang out with their dogs, eat some really great food, and their dogs will get some free treats as well. Free is always good. Free brings them in. I don't care if you're human Free's or the an bomb. animal. Yeah. Free is the bomb. It, it's just the way to be. It's just the way to be. Speaking of free, yeah. we have a ton of free kids activities. Henna tattoos, character artists, face painting, DIY little little things that kids can do and take away with them. We have Forager Project coming that's going to give away free kids yogurt drinks. Um, we have tote bags for the first 1,500 attendees that show up. They get a free tote bag, an official Planet Bethesda, it's diet change, not climate change tote bag. And that will be stuffed with all kinds of incredible coupons and literature and deals and food, free food samples too, which is going to be amazing. Um, we have a pie eating contest, which is going to be off the chain. We have our reigning champion from 2022 returning. He he can eat a mean pie. He's really, really, he's really stuck on winning again. So he's coming back. We have a pie eating contest. We have uh, educational presentations. I heard someone named Chuck Carroll is going to be there too, speaking um, about his story and some information about healthy eating and how you can literally transform your life just by going plant-based. <laughs> I heard there's a rumor about that. Then we have an award ceremony. We have um, Jamie Raskin, Congressman Jamie Raskin, who'll be here talking about um, what he's done for the animals and the environment and legislation he has planned and what's coming in the future. We have Gene Bauer from Farm Sanctuary. We have Gwen Whitaker, one of the executive producers of The Game Changers. We have Eric C. Lindstrom, who is the new executive director of Farm Animal Rights Movement, taking our organization to the next level, Farm 2.0. We have Jane Demirans, who is the founder of the brand new Sustainable Earth Eating, a brand new plant-based environmental organization based right here in the DMV. Um, 
there's going to be a lot going on. How much can you cram into one afternoon? This is incredible. We're and cramming. I, we are cramming big time. I suspect that there are things that you may not have even remembered to mention because there's so much. So for the full lineup of vendors and speakers, planetbethesda.com is the website. We've dropped a link to that right now in the show description and in the episode notes. And I'll tell you the thing that I want to wrap with. Um, I love who's coming on the stage shortly uh, after me. So I think they go on at 1.30 and that's the mad science show yes. with things that go boom. boom. And I don't care how old you are. Anytime anything goes boom, you're going to want to watch. It's just human nature. I'm sucked right in. I love yep. this. I love there's this. gonna be about there's gonna be a lot of boom. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be the oh, bomb. we also have live animal ambassadors from Rosie's Farm Sanctuary that's going to be walking around, uh, picture ops for the kids and their families. Um, yeah, it's just gonna be it's just gonna be awesome. It's gonna be an awesome event. We're expecting thousands of people. It's gonna be yeah, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, as the kids would say, it's gonna be lit. It's, it's going be lit. to be lit. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Planetbethesda.com. Save the date. June 4th. Hope to see you there. I'm going to be on stage at 1250 that afternoon. Come by. Hang out. Let's have some fun. Let's learn about all the great reasons to go plant-based. Because again, this is a plant-based event for people who aren't plant-based. But that doesn't mean if you're not already eating that healthy, whole food, plant-based diet. Lisa, as you said, there's nothing for you. Of course, there's plenty for everyone. So come on out, Planet Bethesda, June 4th. Save the date, planetbethesda.com. Lisa, can't wait to see you there. Thanks for putting on such an extraordinary event. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. We hope to see you there. You know, it would be a lot of fun to see you there so hopefully you can come out and spend some time at planet bethesda on june 4th again a link to their website is in the episode notes such a cool concept really really kind of fun and unique and so important that there is something for everyone even us super healthy eaters out there i suspect if you're listening to this podcast you really try to skew toward the healthier way of eating I know I do. Am I perfect? No, but I definitely do my absolute best. So there is a little something out there for everyone. You can keep it healthy, or if you're plant curious and seeing what this whole thing is about for the first time, you have some familiar indulgences that just happen to be plant-based options. So little something something for every exam roomie at Planet Bethesda. Speaking of plant-based things, as we talk about here on the show, we want to hear your plant-based success story. So leave it right now in a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee a five-star rating as well. Tell us how a plant-based diet has helped to improve your health and what you like about the Exam Room. And then we might just share your story here on the show the next time we do our five-star health success. And there's a link to do that right now in the episode notes. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here, helping to raise our heart health IQs, and Lisa DeCrescente from Planet Bethesda for sharing such a fun concept with us. June 4th, everybody. 
for everyone at the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. We'll be right back.